Good morning, everybody. Before we look at the scripture, we can't, I don't think, meet here as a body of believers and ignore what's going on in the world. Um, And so I want to take a moment here. I want to pray for what's going on in the world, pray for the people of Ukraine, the Christians that are, can't meet like this. Um, So I think we have an obligation to God to keep his people scattered around the earth um, held up in prayer. So let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, your, the scripture says, your eyes behold all <clears throat> the children of men. You see the entire globe. You see every single individual human. You know everything that is going on. And we're reminded that not even a sparrow can fall to the ground that you don't know. So I know that you are utterly aware of everything that's going on. Nothing is out of your control. You permit some things which we can't understand, but that's up to you. But I pray this morning, Lord, that you would comfort, strengthen, protect, give grace to those who are yours in that country and among that nation. Obviously, Lord, we pray for mercy for everyone, but especially you have in your sight those who love you and serve you. We pray, Lord, for your strong hand to be with them, and we also pray that you would stretch forth your hand against evil and that you would hinder and stop and obstruct where you are very good at doing that. We have an awfully good record of all the times that you say you've thwarted the plans of the nations. And so we pray for that this morning. We pray that you would give those in positions of leadership Wisdom, even though they don't have any, you can give them yours, and you can guide them. So we pray that you would hear our prayer today and encourage hearts that are in distress. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 62 is what I'd like for you to look with me this morning. And it's not that long of a psalm, it's just 12 verses, so um, follow, if you would, while we read it. This is, as far as we know, a psalm of David, one of the major writers of the Psalms. 
Verse 1, my soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge, is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Men of low degree are only vanity or meaninglessness, and men of rank are a lie. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than breath. Do not trust in oppression. Do not vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. Now, if you're looking at that, maybe keep it open while we <clears throat> go through it. This, as far as we know, and a lot of good commentators, um, I think, are accurate, that it seems that this is likely written by David when he was threatened with the uprising from his own son Absalom, who attempted to not only kill him at the best, at their least choice was to drive him from the throne. And some of the language here seems to indicate that. They want to take him down from his high position. They want to murder him, so forth. Um, so likely, this, this would be one of the most perilous times David had been through, uh, really, in all of his life. And so in that context, he is crying out to God. He's making some things, some statements about God. And I think they are appropriate for where we're at today in our world. If you look around, there's very little that seems to be solid, that seems to be trustworthy, that is any kind of a refuge. There is trouble on every side. There's unexpected things going on which remind us that we, we can't trust in anything here because whatever we do trust in, it's swept away. There are three things that I want us to see in this psalm, and I'll do my best to get through one and two because three is where there's a good amount of truth. The first thing we run into <clears throat> in the first 
well, one through eight. You'll notice one through four and then five through eight are repetitious. God's my refuge. My soul waits for God in silence. The first thing we see here is the future. Now, let me explain what I mean by the future. Have you ever heard, most of us probably have, heard the statement made, justice delayed is justice denied. Ever heard that? If you have, it isn't true. It's utterly false. Especially with God. I think of Jesus when he spoke about Lazarus and the rich man. He speaks about them after death. And he says of Lazarus, in your lifetime, you were poor, you were sick, you, you were laying at the gate of a rich man, hoping for crumbs from his table, from the servants, and the dogs licked your sores. That, he said, was his lifetime. He didn't get justice in this world. And conversely, Jesus said to the rich man, you ate sumptuously every day, you had the best of clothing, you had riches virtually uncountable, but he said, now you are in torment and Lazarus is in bliss. That's the future. I think that humanity, especially certain personality types and certain cultures, press us to want instant, what we would call justice. I'm one of the worst, so I'll just confess that to start with. Every once in a while, you'll just reading the news on my phone or whatever, something will pop up uh, down when you get to the bottom of the, you get into more trivial news, and there'll be something about some road rage deal, and it'll talk about instant karma, <laughs> okay? The guy who is uh, tailgating and honking and passing on the right and making obscene gestures, and he roars around somebody and he loses control, and he hits the guardrail, and he rolls over. Now, I don't know about you. I don't think, oh, let's pray for him. I think, good, he had it coming. It's instant. God doesn't function like that. Now, here's what we have to think. Man, I wish he would. But if he did, where would I be? There were a lot of times before I really got right with God that if what I wish he would do to the wicked that I see, if he'd have done the same thing to me, 
I'd be in hell. I'm glad that God doesn't have instant justice or I'd be in trouble. So David noticed this and he uses a terrible word here. It's one of the worst words that I think in many cases most of us can see and it's one of the worst words we can see in our particular society. Wait. Wait. He said, I wait in silence for God. I have to remind myself of that, and I think all of us. Notice, by the way, David was presently in trouble. Not future. He was in trouble now. If you recall the story of Absalom, late in David's reign, Absalom, his son, said he was the most handsome in all of Israel, and he was a good schmoozer. Anybody that would come to the king for some kind of complaint or wanting justice, it says that he'd hang around the front gate of the palace, and whoever came to him, didn't matter, Oh, he would grab their hand, he would kiss their hand, and he would say, commiserating with them, what are you here for? And they'd say, well, you know, my neighbor's taking my property and I need justice. And he said, oh, he said, I sure, don't you wish that someone was delegated to be the judge to take care of those kinds of things so you wouldn't have to wait forever to get in to see the king who's got all kinds of other people after him. Oh, don't you wish we had. I'd be willing to do that. And the scripture says that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He was a, a manipulative, schmoozing deceiver. And David was somewhat oblivious to it until it got, it also says, it says, and the conspiracy was strong. So David's writing probably out of that situation. He wasn't, what, what would he want? What would I want if I were in that position? I don't want God to fool around for months, maybe a couple of years. Man, I'm in a mess. I'm threatened with murder now. What's this wait business? But David said, I'll wait in silence for God. He's my refuge. I'm not going to try to take things into my own hands. I don't have the power to do it. I don't have the wisdom to do it. I'll wait for God. That. Now that seems impossible. But it isn't. It isn't impossible to the person who has given their life to God and said, Lord, you rule, you own, you guide my life. I am not capable of doing it. I give myself to you and I trust you. Those kinds of tests 
aren't really tests until they reach the level of our feelings. A temptation is really not a temptation until it engages my emotions. It's just a suggestion before that. But when it gets to my emotions and I, with my eyes, I see trouble approaching and I don't seem to see anyone intervening. And it seems as the trouble grows closer, no one's rising up. It, they seem absolutely unstoppable. What am I going to do? That's when we have to quiet ourselves and say, I'll trust God. I will trust God. So, instant justice, instant rescue. Notice, he says in the first section, I will not be greatly shaken. Will be shaken. But not knocked down if we wait and trust. The future then is the first thing we look at and that we're confronted with. The second thing we see here in 9 and 10, the focus. What's my focus supposed to be in a time of trouble? Well, God touches on two things that we're not supposed to focus on that we usually do. First, men. We, we know somebody. Yeah, well, I know the mayor. I'm friends with the governor. Or let's call so-and-so. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of sway. He's got power. He's got influence. God said, don't put your hope in men. Whether they're of low degree or whether they're of high degree. Of low degree, he said, they're meaningless. He said, those that are in high degree are a lie. It's not even true. If you could see behind them, if you could see inside them, it's a myth. It's a mirage. They aren't powerful. When I was pastoring him back, back in Indiana, there was a, a choice piece of property. I mean, perfect piece of property that we'd been able to purchase to build a new building on. And there was a competitor for it. He was probably the most prominent person in the town um, there of Anderson, Indiana, which is kind of a big duck in a little pond, but at any rate, he wanted to buy that big corner for shopping center, and that was what he was into. And he met with me, and I told, you know, some of the people in the church that he was after this property, and he met with me. And here's what I heard from a lot of people. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. They na named his name, which I won't. He's, he's, he's the most powerful guy in town. He'll get that property. You know, he'll, he'll be able to 
do something here. And it just came to mind. I said, yeah, but we got God. Now, I wasn't unkind to him. He was, he was a nice guy. But if his purposes were cross purposes of God's, God wasn't chewing his fingernails. I mean, God owns heaven, earth, the sea, and everything in them. So this guy's got, I don't know, a couple million dollars. He's a pauper in the sight of God. And plus, God made that piece of property. We built a building on it. Okay? So, men of high degree, men of low degree, God's going to pay attention to them. Don't focus your attention on people. In the crunch, they can't help you. Second, he says, don't focus on money. Whether it's gotten in by ill-gotten means or whether it's legitimate. If riches increase, he said, don't put your trust in them. Why did he tell us that? Because that's the natural temptation. I'm not going to go into another whole issue, but the reason Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that there's only two gods. There's God, Him, and there's money. Because money promises everything that God promises. Security, power, influence, safety. We think if we get enough, I'm set for life. Proverbs says, don't put your trust in riches. They take wings and fly away. Do you check your 401k lately? They're doing some flying. <laughs> Can't put my trust in that. But the tendency is to. So God says, don't do that. Don't look at that. That's fake security. Focus on God. So our focus then has to be not on people, not on things or possessions. It's got to be on God. And why? Here's the foundation. Here's why we can, and David could say, I'll wait and I'll be quiet. I won't just pester God to death because I know he knows. Why? There's three things here in the last two verses. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. Power belongs to God. And loving kindness or mercy is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. There are three things here that are a foundation for our holding steady in the darkest of times, when we can't figure out what God's up to, where he is, what he's doing, and to our human perception, it is heading south. And it looks like it is hopeless to turn it around. 
There's three things here about God. One, power belongs to God. We say, rightly so, God's omnipotent. Now, we could spend the whole day on that. What does power really mean here? It means this. God's complete ability to accomplish anything that pleases him. Now, why define it like that? Because we have to use reason that we know God, having all power, self-restricts. The idea of all power, some think, can't coexist with any restrictions at all. But all power can certainly exist if the all-powerful one self-restricts. And how does he self-restrict? What are the things God can't? do. Well, he can't do anything that's not in keeping with his holy, righteous, good nature. He's never going to do anything that's wicked. He restricts himself. He only does what is in keeping with love, with holiness, with righteousness. He hates evil. He can't do evil. There's a second restriction that God has set upon himself. He made us and granted us a free will. And he knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't make a mistake. He gave us a free will. And he restricts himself by saying, I'll honor your will. Now, I will influence you. I will hem you in. I will judge you. I will rain down trouble on you. I'll do all I can, but I will stop short of compelling you to do right. I'll influence you to do right. I'll squeeze you hoping that you'll turn right. But I will not trample over your free will. So God, God is all-powerful but for those two areas in which he restricts himself. He does nothing contrary to his nature. He does nothing that would involve trampling underfoot my will. We have to remember that, or here's what we end up doing. We pray and think and make requests of God that are not reasonable. Lord, make them whatever. He doesn't do that. He's not going to. Will he answer our prayers to influence people? To make his way clear to them? To convict them? To call to them? To draw them? To hedge up their path? He'll do all that. But he won't make them do what's right. He's restricted himself. But God has all power. There's nothing he cannot do. And he does have power over life. There are plenty of people in scripture that didn't do right and they did evil significantly enough 
that God did not wait for natural death. He killed them. He's able to do that. And he's not unknown to do that. We need to think about that. There's a couple guys in the Old Testament I think of. They were priests. Sons of Aaron. And it won't go into all the details. But they took lightly their job as priests. They had apparently been drinking. And they were fooling around and didn't use what was called holy fire that was on the altar of God. I don't know if they had matches back then or whatever. But they were fooling around. And it said fire came out from the presence of God and just killed them. And then he turned around. Moses said, they had it coming. And he said, Aaron, don't even grieve over it. You're not allowed to. This was justice. And God had had it. He has the power to do that. Now, here's a balance. Power belongs to God. If that's the only attribute God had, we would live in terror every day. But there's something else that belongs to God. Mercy. You know the little, the little prayer we taught our kids, maybe a lot of us prayed it when we were little kids. Pray for your food <clears throat> at dinner. God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. Okay? There's two great truths there. God is great. If we quit there and we don't have a being that is all-powerful but who's also good and merciful, we would be in sheer terror. But he's good. He's merciful. Let me say this. I think... I don't want to get too far off here because we've got to have communion. If there hadn't been, and I'm not saying there was a benefit to the fall, to Adam and Eve sinning, but we would never know. We would know his power. But if, we're, if it were not for sin and being fallen, we'd never know his mercy. And we would never know his justice. Justice and mercy Assume wrongness. Does that make any sense? So we wouldn't even know that God was merciful. Adam and Eve technically would have never known God's merciful. He's also a God of justice. Because there wasn't any wrong in the world. There was no criminality or moral wrong for him to treat with justice. It wasn't there. But now that we've fallen into sin and the whole race is infected with it he's still great all powerful but thanks be unto God he's merciful he's kind he's patient and he doesn't pull the trigger when he is completely justified to do so loving kindness belongs unto you too O God and it says you'll recompense every man according to his work. There's justice. So God is all-powerful. But against that, he's merciful 
and patient. Finally, he will be just. That's judgment day. There's a lot of justice that does occur in this life, but there's probably more that doesn't. And the, we have to trust in God. His timing's perfect. He knows what he's doing. And we're not to critique him. It's okay sometimes to say, Lord, what in the world is going on? However, Lord, my perception only goes so far. I can't see. You can. I'll trust you and wait. That's our foundation for why we can wait on God and trust God in the highest tempest. He knows. He never fails. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I thank you for the truth of this little psalm, especially this final verse. You're great. You're all-powerful, merciful, and you are always, ultimately, a God of justice. I thank you, Lord, that you weren't just with me when I deserved it. Instead, you showed mercy. And you stalled off justice. You are a God that can be served. As we partake now of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of the greatest show of mercy and redemption that you sent your Son. May we recognize what a privilege we have that we have not only an all-powerful God but a merciful and faithful being in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.